Scientists say that energy accounts for about 60% of greenhouse gas emissions. But imagine a world of clean, reliable power available to everyone. Innovators are working right now on groundbreaking ways to help make that happen. I think space solar power in particular has the potential to be one of those new sources that can help fill in the gap when the seasons or the weather don't cooperate with delivering the energy that we need to run society. Coming up, we'll hear about this dream of harnessing solar power from space and then go to entrepreneurs working on efforts to expand current technologies here on Earth. This is The World to Come, a podcast brought to you by Bank of America, exploring life in the future, starting with the visionaries of today, featuring clients and partners affiliated with Bank of America. I'm Tess Vigland. In this fourth episode, The Power to Renew Energy, The biggest issue in energy, obviously, is the reliance on fossil fuels across the value chains. Whether you look at electricity or transport or heating, you know, a vast majority of of that energy use is fossil fuel. Bank of America global research analyst Panaki Das is based in London and has been tracking the global energy picture for a long time. I've been with the bank for about 10 years now, and I've been mainly involved in the utilities, energy, and renewable sector. So again, there are two big goals when it comes to energy. To counter global warming and to get energy to everyone in the world, especially electricity. The International Energy Agency estimates that nearly a billion people are without it. And Panaki, you have a pretty optimistic view about where the world is headed with energy. How come? There's been incredible progress, and me as a renewable analyst, even I'm amazed, and I was already very, very bullish that things will become better in terms of solution. Even I'm surprised by how quickly the costs for some of these different technologies like wind and solar have fallen. I think wind costs have fallen by about 70% in the last six, seven years, and solar has fallen like 80%. That is extraordinary. 2018, 2019 are probably the first years across the world when we see that wind and solar are cheaper or at par with fossil fuel. Now, this is, this is quite important because till now, the solution was not available or it was not cost-effective. Now, when you look at it, it's, it's cost-effective, so it makes financial sense to actually shift to wind and solar. He says solar and wind power technologies will continue to be part of the future because despite their limitations, they work. There are also huge efforts underway to generate other non-carbon energy sources. And this would be a good place to bring back the voice we heard at the very beginning. My name is John C. Mankins. I am one of the world's leading experts in the field of space solar power. I worked for 25 years at NASA, 10 years at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and 15 years at NASA headquarters in Washington, D.C. John thinks it's possible to reach those two big goals by harnessing energy from space for a very simple reason. The sun is always shining there. Rooftop solar and wind are intermittent. They're occasional, not continuous. And you cannot run a civilization, uh, you can't run schools and hospitals and factories and the internet and so on, if you go for a month at a time with no sunlight, with no power. So there has to be some mix of ground-based sustainable energy that we know now, like wind and solar, and new sources. So let's break down how space-based solar would work. A satellite would be launched into space, 
They would then have to self-assemble in space with the use of advanced robotics. When it was all set up, there would be these huge mirrors reflecting the sun's radiation onto solar panels. Then that energy would be turned into a microwave signal beamed back down to Earth. So if you think conceptually about when you go and you turn on the wireless router in your home, electricity is coming in from the wall and it's going into the wireless router and the wireless router is putting out a microwave signal which then goes in all directions and it permeates your your house and you connect your computer to that wireless microwave signal without really thinking about it. Well, in the case of the solar power satellite, in comes the sunlight, the energy of the sunlight is converted into electricity, the electricity is processed in onboard electronics in space and is turned into a microwave signal and sent out through antennas in a wave, uh, like a beam from a spotlight, to a receiver on the ground, and where that energy is converted back into electricity and is then delivered to whatever is uh, the local market, either city or uh, factory or what have you. This idea actually goes back to work NASA was doing in the 1970s. But John says the technology wasn't where it needed to be. If you think about the technologies of that era, you know, 8-bit computers and uh, robots that had to be controlled by, you know, people with their hands on joysticks, no autonomy, the efficiency of uh, a solar cell was like 10%. The cost of getting into space was enormous. At that time, the space shuttle had not even flown yet. John says that today, a platform in space that could deliver enough electricity for about 2 million homes would cost around 10 to $15 billion. It's a lot of money, but he says it's in line with other massive infrastructure projects that initially seemed daunting, from the Big Dig and the Channel Tunnel to the Golden Gate Bridge. Back when San Francisco built the Golden Gate Bridge, they were able to access, and as I recall, with substantial financial leadership from Bank of America. They were able to finance through uh, public debt and bonds and so on the building of the Golden Gate Bridge when it was an unthinkably huge project of the day. And uh, in that moment, B of A transformed California. John says he can imagine a future where a game-changing energy source would complement a world in which solar panels on homes were the norm wherever you went. We're going to hear from someone now who's working on that idea in a place where you wouldn't expect. Rainy, cloudy, London. That's where Agamemnon Otero is working to both lower CO2 emissions and help people keep their lights on. If you can use access to clean energy and allow people to buy into it and have a financial return from that, then they can address those needs of communities with their own two hands. A few years back, he learned that people in a low-income housing community near him were having trouble paying for their electricity. He had an idea. Well, let's generate our own energy. We could literally do that on all the buildings with solar. This was the very beginning of what would become his nonprofit energy cooperative, Repowering London. He figured if the housing community could make its own energy, financed in part by the residents, they wouldn't have to pay for electricity from the grid. So he and some volunteers started going door-to-door with their plan. We just literally just like rolled up and we're like, hi, (laughs) I live right around the corner. And I was thinking, what do you reckon we put solar panels on your rooftop? And I can honestly tell you that most people shut the door. They say, I'm choosing between heating my home and eating food. And yet this idea could help with that untenable choice. 
residents wouldn't just get energy from the panels to use themselves. They could also make money by selling excess energy to London's main electrical grid. So he and his team modified their pitch. And we said, hi, I know that you might think I'm a local government or a private company, but I'm not. I live around here and I want to see us come together. What are the problems that you're facing? And then wait. And they'd be like, I'm busy. And they're like, well, the, the, the roof is leaking. And, and then there's, look, the, the door, the cold wind comes in through these doors. And I don't have childcare. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, what if we said that we were trying to build a cooperative that would give you money to address those three things? And they would go, it would never happen. And then you say, look, if we built a co-op and put solar panels on your rooftop, then we could have a co-op. Within months, more than 100 residents had chipped in. It's an investment model, so people buy the amount of shares they can afford. The solar panels went live in March of 2012. To date, Repowering London has worked with five government-subsidized housing complexes and two schools, giving more than 2,700 people access to solar power. My name is Leela Fortunato. I'm a volunteer director for Bannister House Solar, which is in Hackney, East London. When the people saw the panels being put up, it was quite a shock, I think, for some people, because a lot of my neighbours were like, wow, we've actually done something. Something's actually happened on this estate. Because even though it was being talked about, I don't think anyone really, a lot of them, people didn't believe that it would actually happen. Leela is a history and geography teacher and a single mom. By the time Agamemnon and Repowering London came to her building with their pitch, the organization had grown. They had started to offer paid internships, and she was excited for that opportunity for her kids. But her first motivator was the environment. I think initially when I found out about it, it was to do with climate change. So that's something that I was really worried about. Also being a geography teacher, you're more aware of it, I suppose. Then when I found out that the project was also something that would help build communities and be something that my older two children could be involved in. Uh, so it's paid internship. That also became a massive motivator because it was um, something that for me was nice that young people could be involved in a project like this and be off the streets, do something meaningful, be engaging with local communities because I think a lot of the children feel like they don't have a voice. And also for the community themselves, a lot of people are from sort of low-income backgrounds and again feel like they're not listened to. And the heart of this idea, bringing renewable energy sources to people who need them, is something I talked about with Bank of America global research analyst Panaki Das. He says that that can have huge implications around the world, especially in areas where people lack modern electricity. What is interesting is that, you know, in places like Africa, some of these renewable technologies uh, are, are much better placed to provide a solution. So you don't have to actually go the traditional way of building these huge grids and centralized power plants, what you can do is you can go and build distributed solar and that becomes a much more sustainable and lower cost solution. Off-grid technology is now booming in Africa. Some experts say a distributed solar revolution is underway there. And we're going to turn now to one of the guys leading it. My name is Jesse Moore and I'm the CEO and co-founder of MCOPA, a renewable energy platform company based in Nairobi, Kenya with operations around East Africa. Jesse's company, MCOPA, started eight years ago. At that point, Jesse had already spent years working on emerging tech in East Africa. He had been in plenty of homes without electricity, where people have to rely on kerosene. 
you don't want to really be close to that for too long because the fumes start to mess with your breathing and they start to mess with your eyesight. It makes people's eyes very itchy and red. There's a lot of smoke and that smoke ends up literally making the walls uh, black and gray. Many Kenyans living in rural areas only earn about $2 a day. And it can sometimes cost up to 50 cents a day to get enough kerosene to light a home. Jesse saw a way to give people a better option for the same price or less. There are great technology advances that have happened over the last 10, 20 years where solar panels and lithium-ion batteries and uh, correctly designed appliances like lighting and TVs and fans and fridges can all run off the grid on a, on a solar system. The problem is, if I'm going to buy that solar system for cash, it's going to cost me a couple hundred dollars, if not more. And so just like in the West, if I'm trying to buy a, an apartment, if I'm trying to buy a house, that's a really big one-time expense that I'm probably not going to be able to save up for. Uh, however, if I can get a mortgage and if I can put down a deposit and get hold of that property and move in, I'm going to save rent every month. And instead of paying rent, I'll pay a mortgage that eventually helps me buy the property. Jesse took this concept and applied it to solar systems. His customers put down a deposit, take their system home, and it works right away. They make mobile phone payments every day to keep the system running, and they will own it outright after a year or two. The mobile payment platform is connected to a SIM card that MCOPA embeds into each solar system. This pay-as-you-go setup has been transformative for Joyce Muende. When we met her, she was standing outside near her home in Machakos, Kenya. An interpreter was with her. She says that she used to take her phone to the shopping center to, to charge, and she used to use a lot of kerosene. Now she makes the small daily payments to keep her MCOPA solar system operating. A single 60-watt solar panel on her roof can power her phone charger, a radio, her first television, and two lights. Her life has changed because her kid can now read at night. The kid performs better in school than previously when they didn't own the device. And the village generally has more lighting. By the end of 2018, MCOPA had installed solar systems in more than 700,000 homes throughout East Africa. Jesse thinks they'll hit a million soon. Where we get up every morning is... Uh, the MCOPA team is trying to bring leapfrogging innovation and technology to the lives of those who have been neglected as customers but are very much great customers whom we can build a, a true business with. In other words, working toward more universal access to energy. This is actually one of the UN's sustainability goals, to ensure full access and substantially increase the share of renewable energy by 2030. I wanted to know whether Jesse thought this was possible. Absolutely. Like, absolutely it's possible. We know we have the technology. I think the real question is whether the full force of global budgets of, you know, the investment capital that are required will be put in the right direction. There's no reason why the technologies that MCOPA offers and others offer can't be in hundreds of millions of homes in, in a decade. Agamemnon Otero says our future lies in new ways of thinking. It's all about having these moving, open transparent structures that allow people to open and close the relationship between their energy. And as soon as that happens, we come up with new solutions. It might be fuel cells, it might be battery storage, it, it might be energy efficiency, but we have to have the flexibility to move or we just become the paradigm that we're moving away from. 
Bank of America's Panaki Das says he can also imagine rapid advancements for energy storage, along with electric cars and beyond. So, for example, you know, in nuclear, you could have a major discovery or you could have micro, small nuclear reactors or fission or you could have some breakthrough there. He says shifts in human behavior are just as important. He says we need to consider our own carbon footprints. As we've been hearing throughout this series, there isn't just one answer. And that's keeping scientist John Mankins optimistic, too. Oh, I'm, I'm hopeful because I think the problems, although they are enormous, I think they can be solved, but only if we actually um, work to solve them. What would you like the power to do? On the next episode of The World to Come, would you rather take on a superbug with current treatments? Hopefully his immune system will be able to kick in and fight it. You know, it's the best option we have. Or take a chance on virus injections. Phage therapy is the use of viruses that attack bacteria, hostile bacteria to you. And so they're viruses that are on your side, friendly viruses, if you like. That's The World to Come. I'm Tess Vigland. Thanks for listening. B of A Merrill Lynch Global Research is research produced by B of A Securities, Inc., B of A.S., and or one or more of its non-U.S. affiliates. B of A.S. is a registered broker-dealer, member SIPC, and wholly owned subsidiary of Bank of America Corporation. Any opinions or other information correspond to the date of this recording and are subject to change. This information discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market or political conditions and should not be construed as research or investment advice. Bank of America, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2019, Bank of America Corporation. 